All right, our scripture can be found on the back of the bulletin as we continue through the book of John. Um, and this is um, about the denial uh, of Peter. So hear the word of the Lord. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The word of the Lord. Well, growing up is hard, right? Life is hard and growing up is hard. When you're a young person and you're growing up and your body's changing and you have all these challenges in terms of relationships and more responsibility, you begin to realize that life is difficult. Maybe as you're growing older and your body is not working like it's supposed to, you realize that growing up and growing older is harder, is hard. But I think one of the hardest things about growing up as we grow up is we recognize that life is not perfect. And even worse than that, that we are not perfect. See, sooner or later, you will come face to face with the fact that you are not the person that you thought you were, that you hoped you were, that you believed you were. It's when you fail to live up to expectations when you choose the easy way instead of the right way, and when you succumb to fear when you thought you were courageous. And the question we have before us today is this, what do we do with our failure? See, that's what Peter is dealing with right now as he comes face to face with his cowardice. See, we can ignore it, pretend it's not there, maybe try to medicate it, or fall into abyss, an abyss of depression and despair, or redouble our efforts. But none of those will 
lead us to relief from the fact that we are simply not the people that we hoped we would be. See, the answer is not to be found in ourselves. The answer is to look to Jesus and to trust in his grace and his power. For we all fail Jesus, but Jesus never fails us. So we're going to look at Peter and we're going to use Peter kind of as a mirror to look at ourselves. We're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at the denial of Jesus. Number two, we're going to look at the faithfulness of Jesus. And finally, we're going to look at number three, the lesson for us. So let's look at the first, which is the, not, the denial, not of Jesus, the denial of Peter. We know a little bit of the background of what has happened. Jesus has had the Last Supper, and all the disciples, Jesus has said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be arrested, and, and uh, Peter said, look, if, even if all fall away, I will not fall away, I am ready to die for you. And Jesus, of course, has said, will you really, Peter? Uh, you know, before the rooster crows, the next day you will deny me. And the soldiers have come. We see in verse 12, they have arrested Jesus and bound him, and they've led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, why did they lead him to Annas? Annas is the head of the high priestly family. Caiaphas, right now, his son-in-law, is the high priest. But Annas was actually the high priest uh, from the year 86 to AD 15, before he was deposed by Pontius Pilate's predecessors. But the high priest position is an office for life. And so the way the Jews see it, it doesn't matter what Pontius Pilate's predecessor did. This is the true high priest. And so we're going to lead him to Annas. Annas is kind of like the power behind the throne, even though Caiaphas is the high priest currently officially. And it was actually Caiaphas in verse 14, we see, who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. In other words, Caiaphas and Annas, they're in on this plot. They're not dispassionate, disinterested, impartial observers. They're in on this whole thing. And so Jesus is led into the courtyard of Annas. And we see in verse 15 that Simon Peter is following Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of Annas. So these two disciples are following uh, Peter and this another disciple, which most people believe is the disciple John. Uh, the, the, the way the Greek is and other references, most people believe that that is uh, the apostle John. And John was known to the high priest, maybe his family, we don't exactly know, but he was admitted entrance into the courtyard. But Peter is standing outside the door. So inside is John and the soldiers and everyone else and Annas and Jesus. But Peter's outside. So John goes to the servant girl and says something. We don't know. Now, notice that Peter is keeping a very low profile. Peter is not demanding to be a gain, a, a granted admittance. He's not saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I should be there. No, Peter is keeping a very low profile. So John goes and speaks to the servant girl. Maybe he says, he's a friend of mine. Let him in. We don't exactly know. But as the servant girl is letting in Peter, he says, she says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? 
And he said, I am not. Notice that she said, you also. In other words, she knew that John, she knew enough about John to know that John was a follower of Jesus. You know, we tend to think of Peter that he's alone in this thing, right? That, uh, but Peter was not alone. John was there. Peter could have said yes, but he didn't. I wonder if John did a double take when he heard Peter's response. As, Jesus, as Peter said, I am not. And we have to ask the question, Peter, why did you say that you were not a disciple? I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Peter's looking around and he sees these soldiers who are all there. And Jesus is in chains before the high priest of all people. Something bad is going down. And Peter, just a little while ago, had cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen to Jesus. And he doesn't know what's going to happen if he says that I'm with him. And so he keeps quiet. And so he just stands there as they've made a charcoal fire because it's cold and the servants and the officers and everybody is standing around warming himself. There is Peter trying to blend in. Why did Peter stay? I think the reason that Peter stayed was because he knew that Jesus was the Christ. He knew it in his bones. You know, there's this scene in John 6 after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And then he said to these people who were following him, look, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, unless you trust in me with your life. And a lot of them went away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you're not going to leave too, are you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew he was the Son of God. I mean, think about it. Peter has been a disciple of Jesus for the last three years, and he's heard everything that Jesus has said. Words that are not even recorded in the scriptures. He's sat and he's listened to the Sermon on the Mount. He's seen Jesus heal the sick and the lame. And he's seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He's even been taken up to a mountain where he's seen Jesus transfigured in all of his glory. In fact, these are Peter's own words in his epistle that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And furthermore, Peter knew what he had just said to Jesus, that I will lay down my life for you, even if all fall away. And so... Peter is paralyzed with fear. He can't leave, and yet he can't really be there. In fact, he could probably see Jesus and Annas and overhear this interrogation. And we know what happens, of course, right? Two more times, Peter denies Jesus. In verse 25, one of them said to him, you are not his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. In fact, one of the other Gospels says that he denied it with an oath, uh, and, uh, which was, I don't know the man. And, 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 well, that wasn't all of it. An oath is actually calling upon something sacred, like God's name, to guarantee what one said was true. And so Peter would have said something like this, as God is my witness, I don't know the man. 
Notice he calls him the man, not even Jesus. And I find it quite ironic that God is actually witnessing as Peter calls upon God, as God is my witness, I don't know the man. Then finally in verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, did I not see you in the, didn't I uh, see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it. And one of the other gospels says that he actually began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. To call down a curse is something like this. May God strike me dead if I am lying to you. I don't know the man. And in one of the other gospel accounts, when Peter said this and the rooster crowed, it actually says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. In other words, Jesus was there a little bit off to the side with Annas. And Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter looked at Jesus. And it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, in that moment, Peter came face to face with himself. He had believed that he was strong and capable and faithful. But now he saw that he was none of these things. He was a betrayer and helpless and a coward. He would have not believed that he was capable of such sin. But you see, Peter didn't know his heart. He trusted in himself. It's Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, The heart is deceitful among all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? As we look at Peter's personality profile, through the Gospels, we see one thing about Peter. That Peter is allergic to the cross. When Jesus talks about going to the cross and dying for the sins of his people, it's Peter who rebukes him. See, you can't be talking about that stuff. Because Peter believed that Jesus came to save Israel, but he didn't really come to save Peter. Now, what about us? We have an image of who we are too, don't we? Maybe you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you see yourself and imagine yourself to be faithful and devoted and loyal and obedient. And you may think, you know, if I was in that courtyard, I never would have done what Peter had done. I'm better than that. You may believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and of course I am one of those. But there's kind of this pool of sinners, you know, and there's those who are on the right side, and there's those who are on the left side. And I'm really one who's much more over here than over here. Question I have for you and for me is this. Am I allergic to the cross? I don't need it. Do I really know myself? Do I know how desperately I need a savior? I am in a high-risk profession. There's, when you look at the statistics of being a pastor, I have no idea why anyone would want to be such a thing. They're constantly getting burnt out, fired, divorced. They actually have one of the highest, well, I don't know that that's true. That might be a lie, but there's a 12% chance of me engaging in an adulterous affair as a pastor. It's a high number, isn't it? for supposed men of God. How do you know, you know, it's interesting, 
how do I, you know, I have a metric I've developed to know whether a pastor is going to have an affair or not. And here's the answer. When they firmly believe that they won't. I remember an acquaintance of mine in the ministry saying, that will never happen to me. And you know what my first thought was? You're not going to last a year. Right? I lost touch quickly thereafter with him. I don't know what happened. But, you know, that's the way it works. When you start saying, no, there's no way. Uh-uh, not me. Watch out. You know, I'm so thankful that this story is in here because I think it's important for us to see how far Christians can fail and fall. We are capable of committing the most heinous of sins. And so Peter teaches us we have to be honest with ourselves. We're just like Peter. The truth of the matter is if we were there, we would have done the same thing. And we deny Jesus daily, don't we? When we have a decision whether to follow him and put him first or to put our comfort, our convenience over him, which do we choose? All too often, it's the latter. When we have opportunities to speak up for him, how many times have we kept quiet? When God was calling us to stand for others, how often do we cower? And we're disappointed and dejected because we have so little victory in our life. Peter teaches us this truth that as long as we put our confidence in ourselves and not look to Jesus, we will fall and we will fail. Peter had to fail to see that. And so do we. Because we will fail Jesus. But Jesus will never fail us. This brings me to my second point. We have the denial of Peter, but we have the faithfulness of Jesus. Notice in verse 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. The high priest has two concerns. What is it that you are teaching theologically and who is following you? Who's bought into your teaching? But notice how Jesus answered. He says, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews came together, come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I've said to them. They know what I said. Notice that Jesus answers about his teaching, but he doesn't say anything about the disciples. Jesus says, look, I've spoken openly. I've said nothing in secret. Therefore, there's little point in you going and finding and questioning my disciples. Any of the countless thousands who have heard me will do. See, Jesus is out to protect his disciples. These people want to find and stamp out his followers and get everybody back in line. And Jesus will have none of it. Because he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. In verse 22, when, when Jesus has said these things, one of the officers takes, takes his hand and just smacks him right across the face. But Jesus doesn't cower, does he? He says, look, if what I've said is wrong, tell me what's wrong. But if, if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is 
doing something right here and there that we right here that we need to understand. See, when there is a trial back then, as there is a trial that is starting here, the prisoner who was on trial was never required to testify or answer questions. Indeed, it's witnesses that were called to speak at the trial, witnesses against the accused and witnesses on behalf. And the witnesses for the defendant were heard before the witnesses against him. See, what Jesus is really saying and pointing out to Annas is this is not a fair trial. He's unmasking his opponents who, unable to win their case by fair means, are resorting to foul. See, in the face of this pressure, Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't falter in the face of fear or danger. You know, I, as I was studying this passage, I, I wondered, you know, why is Jesus' response sandwiched in between Peter's denials? Notice it goes, Peter's denial, Jesus in this interaction with Annas, and then Peter's denial again. And the answer is to show the contrast between Jesus and Peter. See, Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. Peter's questioners, a servant girl, an officer, and his attitude is fear and duplicity. And his response is to distance himself from Jesus as far as possible. But Jesus' questioner is the high priest of all people, the highest power in the land. And his attitude is boldness and calmness and composure. And his response is to protect his disciples. See, in the face of danger, Peter crumbles. But in the face of danger, Jesus stands. Jesus never falters. He never fails. And he always protects. And we know the rest of the account of this story, don't we? These trumped up charges, these injustices against Jesus, the horrific beatings, the crucifixion, his total abandonment by the people. But Jesus never quit. What he did, he did for us. See, everyone looks out for their own interests, but Jesus looked out for ours. I so appreciate the words of Isaiah 53 that says that he was despised and rejected by men and one from whom men hide their faces. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, sometimes I tend to think that Jesus is like me. Then when push comes to shove, he will abandon me. That I'm not worth saving. I'm not worth standing for. I'm not worth fighting for. I mean, why would anyone stand for me? He stand for me after I've denied him so many times. And then I look at the cross and I see the truth. 
that we will all fail Jesus. But Jesus never fails us. I have a confession before you. I'm a terrible dog owner. It's true. Terrible dog owner. And I have a dog named Pepper. And Pepper loves me. And the truth of the matter is I treat Pepper terribly. Lee Ellen treats him great. I deny Pepper all the time. But Pepper never denies me. Isn't it interesting that my dog is more like Jesus than I am? So what do you think of Jesus? Do you trust him? The truth is, he's the one person you can trust. He proved it when he stood for me in front of Pilate, the Roman garrison, the crowds, and the cross. And he stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. This passage teaches us, especially in light of how Jesus restores Peter later, what kind of people that Jesus died to save. He had no need to die for people who were sinless, for there are no such people. He gave himself for people who have it in them to betray him. People like you and me. But he will never betray those on whom he sets his love, but will love them faithfully for all time. So put your trust in Jesus Christ. Whether it's your future, for he's got it. Whether it's your past, for he will redeem it. And he has forgiven us if you are a follower of Jesus for our sins. You can forgive yourself for what you have done because Christ forgives you. And trust him with your present circumstances for he is here with you. And God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give us all things? For we all fail Jesus, but Jesus never fails us. And this brings me to my final point, the lesson for us. I think it's important for us to see how far as Christians we can fail and what we are capable of. And God may allow us to fall into those sins, but the assurance of our salvation lies in his faithfulness. You know, Peter lost his joy and fellowship with the Lord that night. He wasn't cast out, nor did he cease to be a child of God, but he lost the victory of discipleship. I think Peter thought that his Christian life was over. But Jesus, after his resurrection, came and in a beautiful way, which we will see later, restores Peter, and Peter repents. That really is the difference between Judas and Peter, isn't it? Peter was willing to receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, while Judas was not. And as Peter walked off and continued on to be these a great apostle in the church. I doubt that Peter ever forgot that night of betrayal for as long as he lived. Even though he lived in the warmth and the embrace of Christian assurance for the rest of his life, I doubt that he ever forgot what he did that night. 
Every morning when Peter awoke and he heard the rooster crow, it would remind him of the grace of God and the love of Jesus and the determination of Jesus not to lose any of his own. See, Peter had to realize who he was so he could realize who Jesus is. We think that following Jesus turns us into some superman with superpowers to live righteous and faithful lives. But Jesus doesn't give us superpowers. He gives us himself. Our superpower is Christ in us. And so we must learn and choose to depend on him for holiness. No, the story's just beginning for Peter. And there's quite a radical change that comes after his repentance and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, 50 days later, he's boldly proclaiming Jesus in the very town where he denied Jesus to a servant girl. What's the difference? Christ in him. And Peter's confidence, not in himself, but in the Lord. See, left to ourselves, we will always fail. We will always deny. We will always cower. But in Christ, as we look to him, we stand like Jesus. In Acts 4, the Sanhedrin actually threatened Peter to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We are a new creation in Christ, and Christ lives in us. And so what does the scripture say? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We're going to leave here and we're going to go live our lives. And the question before us is this. Am I looking to myself or am I looking to Jesus? Am I looking to my gifts and my abilities or to his grace and his power? The secret of the Christian life is humility, dependence, and surrender. For we will all fail Jesus. But thank goodness Jesus will never, ever, ever fail us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you stood for us when no one else would. And you have made us righteous in the sight of your heavenly father because of your blood shed on the cross. And you call us to take up our cross and to follow you. To look not to ourselves, but to you. Our strength, our confidence, our sanctification. Lord, give us eyes to see like Peter that left to ourselves, we will always run away. But in you, we can be as bold as a lion. For in you, uh, we have all that we need for life and godliness. 
You are the answer. And so we point and look to you as our salvation. For we all will fail you in ourselves, but you have never and will never fail us.